and I took the one less traveled. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites us to make exactly that same choice. Matthew seven thirteen to 14, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus invites us to take the road that's less traveled. And the good news is that there is a road that leads to life, to abundant life, to eternal life. And Jesus gave us the exact GPS coordinates. He said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is a road that leads to life. But unfortunately, only a few find it. There are many who take another way. They go in a different direction towards destruction. Well, 2,000 years ago, two disciples stood at that final crossroad. And they went in opposite directions. And it did make all the difference. Their names were Judas and Peter. And of all the disciples, these two were probably the ones most affected and most traumatized by the crucifixion of Jesus. And these two men were similar in many ways, especially because that the events of Passion Week showed them at their very worst. And yet, their prognosis was radically different. One was terminal, and the other made a full recovery. So in these two men and their reaction to the events of the crucifixion, we find bad news, but we also find really good news. And it's really all explained by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where he writes, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There you have the summary of uh, the lives of Judas and Peter. And so this morning we're going to look at Judas. Who in the beginning was just a face in the crowds that followed Jesus. But soon he became a regular. And eventually when their Lord wanted to downsize his posse, he spent a whole night in prayer kind of considering the resumes, creating a short list. And then he picked 12 men. Among them were John and James, Andrew, Peter, and Judas. And that's because Judas had the potential to become a leader in the church, an influencer in the kingdom of God. In fact, he was given a special responsibility, a position of trust. He was the first church treasurer in history. Someday he might even become the minister of finance in the new millennium. And it's kind of strange because you'd think that Matthew would have been the treasurer because he had all the experience. He knew, he knew about GICs and TSFAs and BFFs and LOLs and all that financial stuff. 
But it was Judas who was given this position of trust. And so, like all the disciples, Judas began with great expectations. He believed that Jesus could be the Messiah, the chosen one sent from God to deliver the people of Israel from captivity, to defeat the Romans, and to make Israel great again. And so by following Jesus, Judas became part of a revolution that would change the world. And who wouldn't want to do that? Now he could make a difference for the glory of God. And at first, Jesus far exceeded his expectations. The evidence was undeniable. He was an eyewitness when Jesus healed the sick. When he raised the dead, he saw Jesus command the storm and and walk on water. And it was obvious that Jesus was no mere man. He was much more than that. But how much more? Well, Peter had figured it out. In Matthew 16, he declared, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Good answer. I approve this message. And it fulfills the prophecy of Malachi. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. But less than five minutes later, dark clouds overcast the sky because Jesus started talking about how he must suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law and then be killed. And Peter just lost it. Wait a minute. Hold on. There's no way. Lord, that will never happen to you. You're the son of God. You're invincible. Nothing can stop you. Peter had the best of intentions, but in response, Jesus issued his most scorching rebuke. Get out of my sight, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You don't think the way God thinks. You think the way men think. Wow. Call 911. Someone get Peter to the burn unit. Now Judas must have been thinking, you know, I knew there was something wrong with that guy. He's a double agent. He's in league with the devil. I have to keep my eye on him. Although he does make a good point. I didn't get involved in this movement expecting any suffering. We just have to ride this momentum all the way into Jerusalem. It's going to be a tidal wave that sweeps the Romans out of the promised land and cleanses our culture from Gentile defilement. The only thing we really need now is a bit more capital. And that was so frustrating. Because Jesus consistently missed the best fundraising opportunities they had. He was not a good Baptist. Like when when, when he fed the 5,000, why didn't we at least take up an offering? We need more funds. We never have more than, than 29 pieces of silver in our account. 
I mean, those crowds were so inspired. They wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force. But in response, Jesus just kind of disappears and sails across the lake. But his fan club would not be denied. They got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of him. And that's when the turning point came. Instead of capitalizing on this momentum, Jesus delivers a message so repulsive that they all leave. It was an early version of cancel culture. John 66, or John 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Well, we all know who that is. Simon Peter. He should be fired now. But verse 71 explains he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. You see, Satan kept trying to infiltrate the ranks of the disciples. And the two most promising access points were Peter and Judas. So Christ's warning indicates that something was happening to Judas. His heart was beginning to turn to the dark side. Satan had got a foothold. And imagine how upset Judas must have been when Jesus let the rich young ruler get away. I can't believe it. He's spending way too much time with the poor. We need some wealthy supporters. So for whatever reason, Judas was getting frustrated. He was confused and he was becoming disillusioned. This is not turning out the way I thought it would. So what should I do? I could quit. But I've come so far. Maybe I should just ride this thing out and see where it leads. Besides, there may be some opportunities to at least make a profit. Maybe I'll charge a commission for professional services. Which brings us to the village of Bethany in John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Verse 3 says that Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. 
How much do you make in a year? Can you imagine just doing that? Wow, that, that's almost unimaginable. Verse 6 explains, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas couldn't believe it. Couldn't imagine why Mary would do that. What a waste. I mean, that's something you might do for a king. But not Jesus. He's not worth it. So the reaction of Judas was like a cardiogram. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. His heart was just not in it anymore. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. One of the questions, obviously, is did Jesus do enough to win the loyalty of Judas? Well, we know that Jesus didn't treat him differently, didn't push him away. Judas got as much love as the other disciples. Jesus even bowed down and washed his feet. But Christ's love was having no effect. It couldn't diffuse his disappointments. You know, this is something that happens to people who had been dedicated followers of Christ. But then after a while, they just get too disappointed to keep going. And it's all based on a very simple financial principle. The greater the investment, the greater the interest. And so based on his projections, Judas was in the process of liquidating his assets. By the way, what kind of investments have you made in the kingdom of God in 2020? It was an easier just to slack off, to do way less, right? No one would know. What kind of investments have you made? Spiritually, are you in the black or in the red? Are you still all in? In Matthew 6:33, Jesus said, "Seek first his kingdom." And his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you as well. Are you still doing that? Are you all in? Boy, that is a high risk investment. Maybe it's better to diversify. That's what happened to Judas. As time went on, Judas withdrew his hope from this false Messiah. And he set up a Swiss bank account. It's like the warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If it came right down to it and you had to give up one, which would it be? Would it be God or money? Would it be God or or Starbucks? 
Would it be God or Netflix? If you had to give up one, would it be God or your iPhone? Are you still all in? If God is your hope, your priority, then you need to make significant investments in his kingdom. Investments of time and money, using your abilities for his sake, and not just on a one-time basis. And not just on Sunday mornings, but consistently. And not economically, you know, in tiny drops, but extravagantly poured out just like Mary. You don't just give him the spare change in your pockets and the spare moments at the end of a busy day. Are you all in? Does Jesus get your best? If not, it's very possible that you can begin to drift in the opposite direction where your loyalty might imprint on another master. Judas's reaction to Mary revealed where his heart was at. Jesus is not worth that much. I just foolishly overestimated him. Well, then how much is he worth? Do you have a number in mind? Matthew 26, verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Having realized he bought into a lost cause, Judas decided it was time to cash out. Jesus was not going to lead them in an overthrow of the Roman government. Instead, he was violently driving the merchants out of the temple. What is going on here? We can't be fighting amongst ourselves. We have to unite against the enemy. Judas realized he was on a sinking ship. There's only one solution. Throw Jesus overboard. Maybe that will calm the waves. And all this time, no one suspected the conspiracy that was incubating in the heart of Judas except Jesus. During the Last Supper in Mark 14, it says, while they were, verse 18, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one said to him, is it Judas? Is he the one? Is, is he going to betray you? That's not what they said. They had no idea. They said, surely not I. Is it me, Lord? Am, am I going to betray you? They didn't ask, is it Judas? They asked, is it me? No one suspected Judas was the one who had sold his soul. And so my price for professional services, including handling charges and sale tax, 30 pieces of silver. Wow, that is cheap. 
That was the average price of a slave in the Roman Empire. Which is uh, really aligned to Paul's statement that he made about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, where he says, Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant or a slave. If you looked at Jesus, you might conclude 30 pieces of silver sounds about right. <laughs> but remember, in the beginning, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor in return for his loyalty. I mean, that was a price worthy of the king of kings. But for Judas, Jesus wasn't worth any more than a slave. He was like a businessman trying to sell off his depreciating shares before they became worthless. Unfortunately, he'd bought high and had to sell low. And the final transaction took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was there with all the disciples, and it was dark. There were only a few flickering torches, so it was difficult to make a positive ID. They all kind of looked like the Beatles in the, on the Sgt. Pepper's album. You couldn't tell one from the other. So when the SWAT team shows up, Judas goes up to Jesus and gives him a kiss, which is the customary greeting. He, didn't, he did that a hundred times. But that alerted the soldiers that that's him. So the officers apprehend their suspect with the help of an insider, a traitor. It was very convenient. But I'm not sure that was really necessary. They didn't need Judas to betray Jesus. They would have arrested him anyway. Somewhere, somehow, his fate was sealed. It wasn't even necessary to involve Judas. He just made it more convenient. But for Judas, maybe it felt good. It was payback for misleading me into wasting the best years of my life. Unfortunately, what Judas didn't realize was that he had become the hand puppet of the master ventriloquist, Satan. Back up to John chapter 13, verse 2, it says, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. The New Testament records at least two occasions where Satan entered Judas. Luke 22, 3, Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. John 13, 27, as soon as Judas took bread, this was the Last Supper, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So this was a collaboration. And it was because of the devil's enabling and encouragement that the whole thing made sense to Judas. And so he followed this demonic logic to its conclusion. The logic of deception seems so irrefutable until the spell is broken. And now that Judas has served his purpose, Satan simply abandoned his apprentice. The deception dispersed. And that's when Judas realized what he had done. <laughs> 
The betrayer had been betrayed. And he had no excuse. He couldn't say, well, the devil made me do it. Judas had given Satan permission to seduce him and deceive him. They were consenting adults. Now what? Well, it was time for damage control. Matthew 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. This is your responsibility. Yes, it is. It's your responsibility. No excuses. It's your responsibility. You made the choice. You made a hundred choices which led you to this crossroad. Proverbs 16.25 warns, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's really what determines whether the road you're on is the right one. It's where does it lead? In the end, it leads to death. The chief priest said, it's your responsibility. Satan will deceive people until they reach the point of despair and then he abandons them. Jesus wasn't exaggerating when he said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is the life, then rejecting him will obviously lead to death and despair in this world and in the world to come. And then it says, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. Because that's what happens on the road that seems right. It leads to death. He went away and he hanged himself. Was there any other option? What about rehab? What about a support group? Was there any hope? Well, see, there's a problem here. And it goes back to the verse we read earlier. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And that's true. Worldly sorrow brings death. And that's Judas. Judas had remorse. He admitted that he had sinned, but it was worldly sorrow. And that always leads to death. Because Judas had given his final answer, and now he had to face the consequences. And we're going to say more about that next week when we compare this to what Peter experienced. Because both of them, both of them failed miserably. But one went on to life, abundant life, and eternal life. The other only to death. There's a big difference. And we'll talk about that next week more. And in the book of Acts, when the disciples 
gathered together to find someone to replace Judas, Peter quotes Psalm 109, verse 8. May his place be deserted. Let no one dwell in it. That's the desolation of a lost soul and the loneliness of an eternity without Christ. So this tragic biography of Judas is a warning to all of us to examine ourselves, to reflect on the direction our life is taking. You know, 2020 has been a, has been a hard year, but it's been like a stress test for our faith. In 2020, did we fix our eyes on, on Jesus or did we fix our eyes on the pandemic? The tragedy of Judas is a warning for us not to withdraw or reallocate even small amounts of faith and reinvest them elsewhere. Because over time, that will add up until there may not be enough left for the tribulations to come. When the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 10, at that time, in the end, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. That's what happened to Judas. But that's not an isolated case. In those days, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So Judas's life and death is a warning to us to go in the opposite direction, to do what Mary did. She made a huge increase in her worship budget. And the greater the investment, the greater the interest. And Mary certainly was all in. That's the direction we need to be going. We need to be making greater investments of worship, of adoration, of commitment, of service to Jesus Christ than ever before. Not less, but greater. That's what it means to be all in. Paul was like that. Every sacrifice he made laid up more treasure in heaven. In fact, I found a record of his transactions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. I was, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. Besides everything else, I face the pressures of my concern for the churches daily. Paul, you did that... All of that for Jesus? Is he worth it? Is he worth that much? Well, for Paul, every hardship was a profit. 
Every scar was a capital gain. Every insult, every injury increased his devotion to the Lord, which was compounded daily until finally towards the end of his life, he could report his dividends and his profit margin in Philippians 3 verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul saw Jesus very, very differently than Judas. Very different. All Judas got was 30 pieces of silver. That's all, that's all he's worth. Blood money which was thrown out like a bag of trash. Judas chose the road that seemed right, which in the end turned out to be death. But Paul and Mary took the road less traveled and it made all the difference. And their example shows us That following Christ doesn't count unless we're willing to go the distance. Judas went about 90% of the way. 90% is good, right? Man, you get 90% from a test. I mean, that's I'll take that. Judas went about 90%. But following Christ doesn't count unless you're willing to go the distance. And that can't happen until we're all in. But what what, what happens if you can only go 90%? What if that's all you've got? What if you don't have any more? Well, we'll find out next week. Because Peter went 90%. And then failed and couldn't go a step further. But for him, there was repentance which led to salvation and left no regret. It's such an encouraging story. And next week we're going to have the opportunity to look at that. Father, we thank you so much for showing us in your word what life is really like. Because it's not just some kind of uh, fairy tale where everything turns out and everyone lived happily ever after. Life is not like that. There are some very difficult and some very dangerous things that we face. But we walk by faith following you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And along the way, we have opportunities to make larger and larger investments so that your value in our eyes increases. He must become greater. I must become less. Father, show us even this week how we can do that. 
how we can increase your value by the decisions we make, by the way we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask you to stand for the closing song. It's very familiar to us. I Just note the line that says, there's no way to measure what you're worth. That's what we've been talking about this morning. And I pray that the worth of Jesus Christ has increased considerably, even during this pandemic. Thank you.